before we read our text. Uh, I want to, as a pastor, do my best to guide you. If you're trying to study and look for other things further than what, in addition to what we're doing, there's a few good charts out there. Um, you got to be careful about what anybody's saying or preaching from Revelation. But uh, there's a man named Clarence Larkin. He's this is a hundred years ago. Had an incredible mind. He's a Christian. Um, I don't. He has a book called Dispensational Truth. I don't believe every single thing he put in that book. There's a few things that I don't line up with. But he has a chart on Revelation, which I think is true. This is a small, it's hard to appreciate it on a, uh, Brother Bob printed this out for me. Thank you, Brother Bob. Reminded me. This is free online. If you were to put Clarence Larkin Book of Revelation chart, just do a search and you'll get a free PDF. You can download it to your phone. You can print it out. If you really, really wanted to look at it, you go to a print shop and have it a large print, and you can look it over, and it's reflecting the pattern of the book of Revelation. He probably has even a few things that mesh uh, some of the prophecies of Daniel, perhaps, on here. It's been a while since I looked at it. But Clarence Larkin has a helpful chart. Another chart that's a little more simple, Not it's a little... Um, it's a little more simplified as H.A. Ironside was another evangelist of 100 years ago. H.A. Ironside, a, there, there's a free chart you can get of his. In fact, I meant to print those out to hand out to y'all if anybody wanted them. That's, a, I think, an accurate chart. And then uh, a preacher today, a uh, Southern Baptist preacher in California, David Jeremiah, I believe preaches accurate messages from Revelation um, he's got, it's not so much a visual chart, it's more of like an outline. He has a pamphlet, I have that. And I believe that's free. You might have to give them an email and they'll send you a free chart. Again, I'm going from elaborate to simple on the charts I recommend. So, uh, now hopefully that, that helps. Now let's go to the book of Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. But we're going to deal with verses um, 9 to 20, and I hope you're patient tonight. I want to uh, do, I want to be thorough without getting bogged down um, with the text. So we're going to read verses 1 to 20, that's the whole chapter, but we're going to focus on verses 8, verses 8 to 20. Last week we dealt with the introduction to the book of Revelation. Let's read these verses again. It's intended for us. This is meant for us to have today. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory 
and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him. And they also which pierced Him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, white as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the voice of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Tonight I had to put, I mean, I'm getting to where what Adam said is true. I'm getting old, so I had to wear some reading glasses. Um, this is 99 cent right here. Oh, not bad. I was like, hey, that's not bad. I hope it doesn't mess up my eyes, you know, found out. But anyways, I, you know, I can, I have pretty good, um, I'm, uh, what do you call it? Long-sighted? Far-sighted. Uh, far-sighted. So, you know, I was telling my wife the other day, she was looking at her phone. Sometimes I like to see what's on her phone. I'd be like, you can have anything on your phone. I can't see it. But if you put it three feet away, I'll be able to read it, you know. But this helps, this reveals. I mean, it's a silly illustration. Some of you all depend on glasses. But you put it on and, oh, okay, now it, what was foggy, what was veiled is now unveiled. The book of Revelation, the word revelation, apocalypsis. We say, oh, something's apocalyptic. We think of disastrous. It literally means a revealing. That's what it means. It means to unveil. That's the word. And that's what we're in. The book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ unveiling Himself and His plans. Notice chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of cool stuff. No, the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's not the revelation of a disaster. No, it's not just about these little, it's not just about the tribulation and stars falling from the sky and the blood turning. To, it's, it's a, it, the big picture is we're revealing Jesus Christ and his plans. The Bible says of this revelation that's in our lap, it's at the beginning and at the end, and I know of no other book in the Bible that does this, there's a blessing at the beginning, verse chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things. You're blessed for attending and reading and considering this book. There's a blessing at the beginning, and there's a blessing at the end. Look quickly at chapter 22. The only book I know of that has this explicit blessing stated. Chapter 22, it says, verse 7, wrapping up the beginning and the end of this book with a blessing. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. To keep something means to watch, to observe, to to uh, detain the things in your mind, in your, in your thoughts, in your practice. Keep what you read. Keep this in mind. Keep the things that are commanded in practice, and you're blessed. There's a blessing at the beginning and the ending of this book. Notice also chapter 22, verse 10. Think about these words. Again, <clears throat> it was told, told to John, he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. You know, there's a prophecy towards the end of Daniel, and I, and I don't understand all of it, but, the, but it says, this is sealed up right now, Daniel. You know what? You ladies think of food. You, you, you make something, and maybe you, any ladies do the canning around here, jarring. Actually, yeah, I remember Miss um, Catherine had told my wife how to do some, and, you know, you make something just to seal it and put it away, right? What you do? I mean, I tried that one time. I we got a bunch of raspberries from nine, from the produce store over in Mesa, and, and I'm like, yeah, good deal on the raspberries. I like raspberries, and I told my wife, I'm gonna make some jam, you know, and I did okay. It was okay, and I tried to do my own kind of jarring, canning, whatever you want to call it. It was okay, Jimmy. Wasn't that bad? <laughs> no, he didn't like it. Okay, it's a little runny. I ate it though. It was, low, it was low carb. I didn't have as much sugar as they said to. Anyways, you know, you make something and want to seal this up. There's a proper way of doing it. Seal it up. We'll, we'll deal with it later. You know, stock it in your pantry or whatever, and, you know, you're ready for the, your doomsday prepper or something. I don't know. Or, just, or you're just being wise and trying to have things ready for another day. This book that was given to John 1,900 years ago, it was all this vision given to John, and he was told, don't. Don't set this aside. In other words, for the last 1,900 years, the church constantly needed to be aware of this. Seal not the saints. So we're wise to, to, to open this up and not let it get sealed. It needs to be on the table and being consumed right now. For the time is at hand. Well, John here now has a vision. Look at verse 9. I, John who am your companion in tribulation. We're going to look at an outline here of his vision. John sees Jesus clearly. He's revealed to him. We're going to see the scenario of his vision, the sound of the vision. Well, you'll see the outline here a little bit again. The sight the solace that he gets from this vision. 
and the special assignment. Kind of our five points for tonight where the outline of the outlining this vision, this encounter of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end, there's a more of a what's the big picture? What is God trying to accomplish? So what? He saw Jesus. What's the point? We're going to answer that. The scenario. We'll go to the next slide. Not yet, but in just a minute, Jimmy. Look what he says. Here's the scenario of this great moment of seeing Jesus Christ. The scenario is this. I, John, I, John, who am your brother and companion and tribute. Notice he doesn't say, John the great and last of the apostles. And I was faster than Peter when we ran to the, to the tomb that day. And he doesn't, he's saying, I, John, I'm one of y'all. It's almost like he's astounded. It's just me. Just me, John. I want to tell you what I saw. Can you give me what I saw? I, John. He's astounded. I, John. It's a scenario where he's in tribulation. Notice what it says. Your companion in tribulation. So these other Christians that he's writing to, the seven churches which are across that Aegean Sea on Asia Minor in that area that he's writing to, they were in tribulation too. And he equates it. He's a companion with them. He's an equal with them. I'm one of your fellow brothers that are in tribulation. He was in tribulation during, this is, many people think this was during about AD 95 to 96 of this period right here. And during that time, there was great persecution against Christians in the Roman Empire during that time. AD 95 to 96. So what is that? 30 or 50 something, 60 something years after Christ? Dio, Domination was the emperor. There was a few emperors before domination, including his brother and his dad. You talk about a weird family trees. Look at these Roman emperors. Weird. Nero was horrible. Now he's some few generations, uh, at least a generation after Nero. Domination is a cause of persecuting Christians and Jews. And John's one of them persecuted. Now he go to this next slide. He's on the aisle that is called Patmos. That's the scenario. The scenario is Patmos. I'm sorry, this isn't the best graphic. But think of the Mediterranean Sea, where I'd be standing right now, if this map continued out, this would be Israel right here. All this would be Mediterranean. To the west, you'd see the boot, Italy. Keep going further, and you'd see Spain. So the whole pretend to that wall, even past that wall, to me, would be the Mediterranean Sea. Where my legs are would be about where Israel is. This is the called Asia. We got modern-day Turkey. The seven churches, and by the way, some of these names are, um, uh, yeah, these are names from back then. But you have in this area were the seven churches that they originally aimed at. Forty miles southwest of Ephesus, that's one of the churches. Forty miles southwest, right there, Patmos. One of, I read of about, I think, 40 or 50 islands in this area of the Aegean Sea. To the west is Greece. But here you have Patmos. That's where John is. That's the scenario. Go to the next picture, Jimmy. We saw this this morning. There's the actual island. Uh, it's not a paradise. I, like I said, I, I, it, 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 it appears to me they have developed it today. I think there's some kind of shrine there. People make a, they kind of uh, 
get a little superstitious on where, you know, Christians have been in the past and make a shrine over it. But there's also, I think uh, there might be a resort there. There wasn't a resort in this scenario. There was no resort. As I said this morning, this about 10 miles long, I think 6 miles wide at, the, at its maximum, this island here of Patmos, 1,900 years ago was a gigantic Alcatraz, basically. Alcatraz, some of you kids, it's, it's not a tourist attraction over in Northern California. It's, it was an island prison that was like impossible, supposedly, to get out of. Well, this is one of the penal, penal colonies of the Roman Empire. They had prisoners, get them on an island and get them to work. Apparently, there was mines here. You get the prisoners working in the mines. they got to do something. And uh, John was on the island. This is the scenario. Look what he says. I, your companion in tribulation. The scenario is also, um, oh, by the way, go to the next slide. Here's just an example of the coastal. This is modern day. Somebody's there on the beach. It's kind of a rocky island. That's, a, that's just to give you an image there. We'll leave it right there just for a few moments, Jimmy. But the scenario is he's on Patmos in tribulation. He's there not because he's been a bad boy, not because he's been a criminal, not because he committed fraud or because he murdered somebody or he, he robbed a bank. He's there. Notice why he's there. Look what it says. He's there on the aisle that is called Patmos. Look at the middle to the end of verse 9. Why? For the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. By the way, if we are for the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ, we may find ourselves on a Patmos in the years to come. It might not be called, it might not be an island, but it may be some other type of punishment that man imposes on us for what? Being a Christian. Well, John's there because of that. He's treated like a criminal, but he's highly valued by God. I want to read quickly Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount as a reminder. We've got to remind ourselves of things like this in the days ahead. If persecution comes, because Matthew 5, it says, Blessed, verse 10, blessed are they, blessed is a guy like John, blessed are they which are persecuted not for their own criminal's sake, but for righteousness' sake. Blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye, verse 11 of Matthew 5, are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I want to say something. If we're trying to live for the Lord, and you're honestly trying to live for the Lord, you're doing your, what I could say, dead level best to live for Jesus and be godly, and you're treated junky, you're treated like trash by maybe somebody close to you, a co-worker, a family member, or maybe the law at some point, and you're treated badly, just remember, just because something's treated like trash doesn't mean it is. In God's eyes, he says, this is gold for John. John is going to get rewarded. Blessed is he. That's why John's there. It's a scenario of persecution, a scenario where he's persecuted um, for the word of God. As I mentioned, you go back to Revelation. Um, he, it, during this day, Domination, as I, as I mentioned, was an emperor. And Domination promoted emperor worship. By the way, when any society begins to say no to God, no to God, no to God, there's going to be a God. There will be a God in people's lives. 
And that's why, as, as a side note, as our country's government gets bigger, or as God is getting smaller in our lives, government gets bigger. And government becomes God to people. Well, Domination, in, in John's day, the emperor, promoted emperor worship. He began his announcements. Here's how he began his announcements. Our Lord and our God, Domination commands. And eventually, that will conflict with an honest Christian who's going to say, yes, you're my emperor, yes, you're my leader, I'll do what you say, but you're not my God. That's where we draw the line. We'll have no other gods before me. By the way, let's stand for Christ no matter who our governor is, the one you like or don't like. Stand for Christ no matter who our president is, the one you like or don't like, or if there ever is an emperor that we have to experience. Stand for Christ regardless. So it's a scenario there, a persecution. It's a scenario where he says, in the Spirit. Notice verse um, 9. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean? Does it mean he got this heebie-jeebies or a shrivel, you know, a, a thing, tingle up his spine and he started speaking in tongues or something? No, it just means, think about the language. The, proper, the preposition, he was in the Spirit. I believe it means the Holy Spirit just enveloped him in such a unique way so as to um, help him see this revelation. Tra eventually, he's basically transported up somehow spiritually and forward to be able to see the future. He was in the Spirit. God's Spirit just took him over. So he could see and apprehend this vision. On the Lord's Day, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now, I just, I'm not going to run over the different interpretations of that. I believe it literally means just Sunday, first day of the week. What a Sunday that was. Unforgettable. You know, sometimes we forget Sundays, don't we? Like, yeah, what did we do last week? Oh, what did we do? He wouldn't forget this one. It's written down. So that's the scenario. Now the sound. Jimmy, let's go ahead and go to the next uh, slide here. Really, it's our, our last slide. Here's again our outline. I, just a picture of John. We don't know what John looked like. He's holding a pen, pen, pen right there, something. But I just want to convey the idea of him seeing something bright. And this is the only other slide I have. And, and I'll just preface what I'm going to say next is, as we go through this text, there's amazing pictures of Jesus Christ. And I, I just struggle to find anything that I could show you. <laughs> so I want your mind's eye. Whatever, in these moments of hearing it, hearing the Word of God, just let God give you a picture in your mind's eye of what Jesus looked like. Because I just, it just feels like it's always coming short to try to show something. So we'll look at at least John and imagine what he's seeing. So the sound here, the sound of the vision, verses verse 10. Um, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, if it was my voice, you'd say I heard a great voice like a gazoo. Yeah. You know. Is that how you say it? I said, is it? A, yeah. All right. Or harmonica. But he said, I heard it. I mean, I heard behind me the, a great voice as of a trumpet. In fact, let me face this way because John's going to turn around in a moment. I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, a trumpet, what do you think of when you hear of a trumpet? Somebody talk back to me. 
Soldiers. What else? A big announcement. Riders in the Old West with trumpets, yeah. Commanding attention. Man, if somebody, I mean, then the how used to wake up the, the army and the soldiers. I don't know what they do. Everybody get up. You know, that's commanding attention. It wakes you up. It has clarity, too. A, a trumpet has clarity. At least it's a, a person that knows how to blow it. You know, they had to blow it with clarity. My boy, we have a silver trumpet at home that was given to me from my uncle, my mom's brother, and I'm trying to get one of my boys to play it. Jimmy, you do pretty good just playing. So I'll put Jimmy on the spot. Come on, Jim. A trumpet has clarity. It commands attention. So, you know, if I was just kind of like, nah, nah, nah. oh, hey, by the way, homeschooling parents, this is a good idea. Maybe we need to learn how to play a trumpet, and our kids are just kind of like, you go, boom, blow that trumpet, you'll get their attention. Gather all their stray thoughts right, right in line here. So John hears the sound of a trumpet, and he says, and what else did he hear? The voice, it said, I am Alpha and Omega, verse um, 11, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Alpha and Omega, the first letter in the Greek alphabet, the last letter, it's, it's, talking, it's describing a person who encompasses all time and is involved in everything of all time. He's all-encompassing. He starts and finishes this whole plan. That's what John hears as a trumpet, and he hears this statement, I am Alpha and Omega, and John's still hearing this voice behind him. Now he hears a voice, the same voice say, what thou seest, uh, verse 11, what thou seest, write in a book. So he's hearing this, but I didn't see anything. I got to write a book. Write in a book the things that you see and send to, names the churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So these are churches that are, were initially the ones that the book of Revelation was aimed at. But then it says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Anybody who has an ear, hear what is said to these churches. And by the way, these churches, and we'll see this as we go, these seven churches are typical of church personalities. We'll see that. By the way, he says, this is interesting too. Look what the Lord says to John. What you see, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos. In other words, individual local churches. And again, again, another thought here. What is church? Church is essentially a local gathering. It's not just where, you know, wherever a few Christians are, that's church. No, it's a local gathering. That's the primary use of the word, the sound, but then notice the sight. So John hears the voice and he turns and he sees the voice that spake with him. And let's look at this in verses 12 to 15. Several descriptions here. He says, and being turned, and I turned, verse 12, I'm sorry, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. We'll look at that later. I believe that they, they don't, it's not even a question. Those golden candlesticks represent churches. Seven individual candlesticks. I don't think it's one with seven candles. It's seven individual candlesticks. Jesus is in the midst of them. Look what it says. Seven golden candlesticks. And in the middle, the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. So he's there as if he's, he has uh, oversight of these candlesticks and watching them and maintaining them. That's what I saw. 
Now, some of us so far are like, what's the big deal? He turns around and sees a guy standing in front of some candles. Big deal. Whoa, whoa, we're not done. Like unto the Son of Man. That's what he saw. One like the Son of Man. Um, Daniel described the Messiah as the Son of Man. Jesus, I, I read, I haven't actually verified this, but I read that Jesus most often called himself Son of Man. He called himself Son of God, but he also called himself, it says more often, Son of Man, emphasizing his membership with humanity. God in flesh. He's, he's trying to describe his membership. He was one of us. God incarnate. One of us, hey, I'm the son of man. I'm a member of, the, of, 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 of humanity, of course, without sin. Virgin born, of course. It behooved him, Hebrews 2.17, that in all things he should be made like unto his brethren. He's like a man without the sin nature. One, John says, I saw one like unto the son of man, and it's describing Messiah. Notice his clothing, the garment here, clothed with a garment down to the foot. And gird about the paps, that's the chest, with a golden girdle. It's, it's picturing the, the attire of a high priest, according to Old Testament standards. Not just any high priest, not a pagan high priest, but the Old Testament Mosaic high priest has a certain, and not, and not even just the priest, but the high priest, a certain garment and this golden uh, ephod or um, girdle. That's what he sees. By the way, Jesus, again, talk about priests. Hebrews 4.14, here's your priest, not me. We have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who's passed into the heavens. And we have not a high priest like these men on earth who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But Jesus was on all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Jesus is our great high priest. So John turns John turns to see Jesus and says, the Son of Man, in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, the garment down to the foot, the golden girdle, and he's like a high priest. And then notice, notice these descriptions here, his head, his eyes, his feet, his voice, his countenance. Notice his head. And his head, verse 14 says, and his, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. Now, I always thought, you know, for us, we age, we get gray hair. And the Bible says, you know, um, it's an honor. Thou shalt, the Bible says in, in Leviticus 19 that you should rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear the Lord thy God. We need to honor men who have the gray head. But I don't think it's saying, oh, he's just old now. No. It's not talking about aging. It's just all of us is showing how bright he is light. Jesus is, and in him is no darkness at all. Look what it says. His head and his hairs were um, white as snow, like wool, and blazing, glowing white light. That's how Daniel describes him when he saw him in Daniel 7, 9. Notice his eyes now move from his head to his eyes. John, what did his eyes look like? They're penetrating. John says his eyes were as a flame of fire. I've never seen people. I've seen people with eyes with big pupils. And some eyes were really bright blue. And uh, some eyes just kind of glossed over. You know, I know. I see that here sometimes. But I know what happens. But here he sees eyes of fire. Wow. 
the fire, there's a flame of fire. What is that picturing? Penetrating knowledge, seeing into the depths of everything. His eyes sees into the deepest, darkest parts of all of us. Flame of fire, his eyes are. Again, this is not a cool cartoon version of Jesus. This is naturally Jesus. All this was veiled when he took on flesh and he walked among us. It was veiled. And now it's, this is me naturally. Eyes is a flame of fire. By the way, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. There's, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, neither is there anything that is not, um, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, neither is there anything that's covered in His sight, but all things, all things, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You know, whatever we're hiding in our thoughts, our life, or whatever, um, He sees it. If you're hiding something bad, He sees it. All things are open. If you're doing something good, nobody sees it. He sees it. His eyes are as a flame of fire. Look at His feet here. In his feet. I mean, John couldn't help but see all these things and just describing it. Verse 15, his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. Now, we're not used to seeing that. I was talking to Rusty about this the other day. But basically the thing is, is when brass is burning, it's very bright. It's glowing. Fine brass. It depicts his activity and his exercising judgment. Brass is a picture of judgment. Exodus 37 talks about the altar was made of brass. The utensils for the altar was made of brass where the sacrifice was done. The brazen serpent that was Moses lifted up was made of brass. Again, it's a substance that depicts judgment. And Jesus has the right to exercise judgment. But it's bright. His feet are bright like brass as it's burning. And then notice his voice. Verse 13, And his voice as the sound of many waters. As I was studying it today, I was getting a little dry, and I'm like, well, his voice didn't sound dry. The voice of many waters. I don't know that that's the main point of that. But whenever you've ever gone by a, an ocean um, where it comes up on, maybe crashes on rocks or whatever, it's just so full. How many of you ever get, you know, you, I was telling my wife the other day, you know, you get, you got, we got Pandora. Didn't they do the Pandora thing? Yeah, you know, for music. There's all kinds of different ones you can use now. And they, they try to use this stuff to, you know, soothing music of, of water. You know, it's just never the same. No matter what you do, you, I, you know, maybe if you had a whole bunch of speakers in your house, maybe it might feel somewhat the same. But to me, there's nothing like actually being on a beach and hearing the voice of many waters. It just doesn't do it coming out my phone. So the idea here is Jesus' voice at first was like a trumpet. Now he hears his voice, it's like, Full, not contained to a little speaker. Hey, guys. Full, powerful. The voice of many waters, that's the Lord Jesus Christ's voice. And it's no wonder that when he comes back and he, and he speaks to the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan with his voice, it's like a sword. It's just so full and powerful. Isn't that amazing? I can't wait to hear that. And then notice he had in his hands, John, his, what else I saw? This is the sight. I saw in his right hand seven stars. We'll define that in a moment. He has something in his control. Seven stars. As in his right hand. And in his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. That means what he says is effectual. And, verse 16 at the end, his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. So again, what's the big kind of 
takeaway from all this. Jesus is light. There is no darkness at all in Him. No darkness. There's darkness in us. People are like, oh, we have a spark of divinity all in each of us. Not in and of myself. The only light I have is when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and now I have His light. There's no light in me. That's why I need to be saved. In me is darkness, in Him is light. All is bright and light. Nothing is dark. So that's the sight. Now let's go to the next thing, the solace. But it doesn't appear like a solace, a comfort at first. Notice what verse 17 says. John says, when I saw this, I I fell at his feet as dead. I fell at his feet as dead. You know what John didn't do? Dang. So John didn't see this vision and go, wow. That's very interesting. Very intriguing. No way. You know, we get, I mean, I get like that sometimes reading, hmm, very interesting. When he saw him, he he acted and behaved like people really do when they see God in the Bible. Isaiah did the same thing. I think Ezekiel did something similar. Uh, Moses, people who saw God in His glory, fell down. It's often they thought they were going to die. And God has to con- console them. And that's what you see John getting solace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, let me say this. The more we, this is for us here, the more we perceive the majesty, the holiness, and the power of God, the more we perceive that, the more reverent I think we'll become of God in responding to Him. John responds reverently and with fear almost to the point where the Lord has to kind of balance this out. Say, it's okay, you're not going to die. Fear not. Here's His solace. Fear not in verse the middle of verse 17, fear not, I am the first and the last. Don't fear. I, I am he that liveth and was dead. I'm, I'm your Savior that you know, the, the Lord that you walked with. That's me, you know me. The one you laid on my breast at the supper, that's who I am. Him that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Well, I want to be on the side of the guy who has, the guy, I say that reverently. Respectfully, I want to be on the side of the person who has the keys to hell and death. I want to be on your side. It means he has the prerogative on people's death and destiny and hell. Have those keys. John's solace, and then last of all, John's special assignment. Notice verses 19 and 20. Now, this is now pay attention to this. Um, his special assignment, we see an outline and we see a definition of some symbols. We see an outline here and a definition of some symbols. John's special assignment. So he's consoled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then fifthly, he sees this, he gets this assignment, verse 19. Write. Okay. Write what? Write the things, there's a threefold outline, which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. We'll stop right there. This verse is a key verse for the book. Um, I know of no other book in the Bible. Maybe somebody would find one that I something that I didn't see. But I know of no other book in the Bible where the outline is stated by the 
author of what the book looks like. Here's the outline of this book. Here is the outline of the book. The outline of Revelation, its simple, simplest form is what I said when we first preached. There's a little introduction, and there's a little conclusion. And in the middle is these three points. The things that John saw. First thing he sees is this revelation, this uh, vision. The next section is a little bigger, chapters 2 and 3. Write the things which you've seen, and then the things which are. Write the things which are. The things which are are chapter 2 and 3, where Jesus describes the concurrent condition of the churches. So John was to write these seven many epistles that were dictated to him by the Lord. And then the things which shall be hereafter, that's chapters 4 through most of chapter 22. So threefold outline of book Revelation, the things which he saw, which, are, which, which he has seen, the things which are, that's the churches, the church age, or the church conditions, and the things which shall be hereafter, primarily future events, chapters 4 through most of chapters 22. Write those things, John. And so that's what John does in this book. And now he, the Lord defines these symbols, at least two of them. Look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are seven churches. Now let's tell you what I, exactly what I believe this means, and we'll probably reemphasize this more in the days ahead. These stars, I believe, and I'm not alone in this, that he calls angels, ah, uh, you're laughing because you're like, yeah, right. I believe they represent the pastor. The word angel means messenger. Angelos is the Greek word, and we literally, angelos, we anglicize that word and see the word angel. Sometimes angelos in the Greek is sometimes translated just messenger, could be referring to human messenger. Sometimes referring to a leader. But we're not going to bring all the proof texts of this, but... It's referring to the leader of the church who sometimes, who is in this case called an angel. And the Lord says, I got these guys right here. And we're going to write to them. Those stars represent the angels, the messengers, the leaders of the church. And the candlesticks, the seven candlesticks. What are, so when we saw Jesus in the midst of the seven candlesticks, John, uh, John maybe perhaps wondered what it is. Jesus says, here's what those are. Those are the seven churches we're going to write. That's interesting. A church is like a, a little candle. By the way, we don't have any lighter. If there's anything good, if there's anything illuminating, thing, if it's anything beneficial for Royal View to be in this community, is because Jesus has given us light. We are a candlestick in Gilbert. That's what it is. And so he defines these things. And, and the Lord says, write. Write these things that you've seen. Write them, verse 19. And the things which are, and things which shall be hereafter. By the way, as a side note, let me just say this to us. When God does something unique in your life, whether it seems really big or just small but highly valued, write it down. Write down a note on your phone or pull out a journal. I'm not saying you have to write down something every day, but write down the things that God's done in your life. Um, when Brother Tongdi was here last Sunday morning, it was a real blessing. And 
I think he's a few, maybe a year or two older than me, but he was, he was brought over here from Southeast Asia when these communists were going into, was it the Khmer Rouge? I, I lose track of these guys. And they were just trying to, you know, taking over places and slaughtering people. And he escaped with his family, went to one country, and, and then went to another country and came over on a boat and found himself in Long Beach, I think it was. By the way, people that say, you know, did you know religious, did you know more wars were started because of religion? You ever hear people say that? I think when you really do the research, it seems like more wars are started because of some atheists. Communism has killed a lot, millions and millions of people just in the last hundred years. Communism, godless political philosophies. Anyways, Brother Tungdi, when he tells us, he briefly told it Sunday morning. I knew more of his story. But after the service, I said, Brother, write that down. Write down your story of how you came here. Write it down on how you, you know, got saved and the church that helped you. And I said, if you write it down, I'll, I'll, I will read it and I'll keep it. And I would appreciate that. He's like, okay, I've had other people tell me that. So again, as, a, as we think of John writing, something special God's given him, we should think there's, you know, there's things that our kids will want to know about us maybe that we haven't verbalized. And it would be good to have some notes written down about that. But here's what I want to end with is this thought of, and I don't have a slide, but just this question. Here it is. John sees the Lord. What does all this mean? What does all this mean? I'm going to state what I think it means, and I'm going to try to reemphasize it in different ways. This is how the book gets started. So you have 22 chapters that we've, it's been divided up. Man's divided up into chapters. But you have these chapters. We're about to see uh, these mini epistles to the churches, get this information about the churches. And then we're about to see uh, images in heaven, images on earth, and back and forth, and um, the future events, and the, the judgment of the, um, the beast and the Antichrist, the beast who is the Antichrist, and Satan, and the millennial kingdom, and a new heaven. We're going to see all these things. But before... John sees revelation. He, want, he needs to see more clearly the revelator. Get to know the author more clearly, and then his book follows. In other words, um, before John's know more about the revelation, he must first more of the, the revelator himself, the one who's steering all these events. See, it's not just that a person should say, you know, I really... You know, Pastor Henry, I'd like to come hear you preach on the book of Revelation. That's really intriguing. Well, the question is, do you know the God of the book? Do you know the Savior of the book? It, you know, it, it, it doesn't, you shouldn't be so much concerned about what the future holds as much as does God hold you? Is God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who holds the future, is He your Savior? Do you know Him personally? A lot of times people get intrigued with they want to know Bible knowledge and they want to know things. And, um, but we got to know the God of the book and not just the book of God. And John's getting, John, no, John's a Christian. John's saved. He's an apostle. He's, he knows the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's getting a clearer picture. To knowing the Redeemer is foundational to knowing his revelation. It's not just that God in this book wants to show us this thing and this thing and this thing. 
He wants to show us himself. This is me. I want you to see me. And we're going to see more of him in these images in heaven where he's pictured as a lamb. And when we, we'll see more of him when he's pictured and seen as one coming back on a white horse and uh, with his armies. And when he's also one, as when, there's a, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, um, there's no need for light because he is the light. And we're going to see him more. God says, I want to show you me. When I saw him, John saw him. So let me ask you this. How do you see the Lord? Do you just see him as a religious person? You know, well, gee, he's a religious uh, leader. And I recognize Jesus and I, and I revere Jesus. Or do you see him as God in the flesh? Do you see him as your personal Savior? For us, we need to be like John, where we just constantly keep in mind um, the nature, the love, the characteristics, the attributes of our Savior. Because I think seeing him clearly, like John, could be the beginning of us seeing other things better. If, you have, if we have a skewed view of God, it skews our view of other things. So there's John's vision. Let's ask God to bless our time as we pray. God, thank you for letting us in on what you let John in on. And we can we do our best to imagine what he saw. We know you want us to try to imagine. You know you want us to read and and keep these things because you said we're blessed when we keep this in mind and your commands in practice. And thank you that you you do walk among the seven candlesticks. You're you're involved in the churches. You you're, you're observing them. You can snuff them out if you want. You can trim them up if you want. And you have those angels in your hand. I pray that you would have all your will to be done for this church, for this apparent angel, for this candlestick of a congregation. And that you would trim us and make us everything we need to be. And may we have a... <clears throat> a healthy fear of you like John did, a certainly a constant reverence of you. And I pray for you to draw to yourself tonight anyone who may have never in truth accepted you as their only Lord and Savior would draw them to yourself, Lord, and save them. And encourage us as Christians tonight. Bless your people. I ask in Christ's name. Amen.